0: I'm going to uh, do our reading now. It's uh, quite an epic reading. Uh, and if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1 uh, and reading from verse 26. We're going to read all the way through to uh, chapter 2, verse 25. So uh, at least it's a nice easy one to find in your Bibles. It's right at the start. So uh, starting with Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 26. I think Nick's going to put the words up there. Yeah, there we go. Then God said, "Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move on the ground." God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it." God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth, and when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a, a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, lo- in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river, a river of water in the garden, flowed through Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when you eat from it you will certainly die the lord god said it's not good for man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him now the lord god had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky he brought them to man to see what what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature was its name so the man gave names to all the livestock the birds in the sky and all the wild animals wild animals but for adam No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought it to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to a wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked but they felt no shame. Let's just pray as uh, we, uh, I hand over to Nick. Lord thank you, uh, thank you for your word and thank you for for that creation uh, and for the fact that you, it was only you that could breathe breathe life into the nostrils of, of man and breathe that life into the nostrils of those animals beforehand as well Lord and I just thank you for that. We. We still, despite all our, our scientific knowledge, don't really understand exactly what life is, uh, but we do understand that there's something that, that, that's made it and created it, and uh, from our perspective, that's you, Lord, uh, and we know, we know it's you. I just pray that, that as, we, uh, as we move forward during this time, that we can get a greater understanding of, of what you're all about, and uh, uh, help us to explain to our friends why it must be you that's there, that, that, that created all of these things and all this wonderful world. Pray now for Nick as he, he shares your word. I just pray that uh, we can hear you speaking through him, that we can, uh, we can hear uh, directly what you want us to hear uh, and not not just what Nick has prepared, but your special message for each one of us. In your loving name, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Bill. And thanks,
1: Johanna, too. Um, we're going to start a series. We're going to look at um, God's covenant. So that's interesting. Now I've got the sun on my face is that all right or do you want me to get rid of that <coughs> illuminated we're going to look at god's covenants and it is a subject we've we've looked at before um ernie uh, took took the subject quite a long time ago um but i think it's time to come back and i guess the first question we've got to ask is why why do we want to, why do we want to study god's covenants or god's covenant um, sorry, let me get out. it's a bit. There are a variety of reasons, really. One is that <coughs> covenant is the way God always relates um, to His people. He always relates to His people um, through covenant. But across the Bible, these covenants change uh, and they develop. And uh, we study the covenants so that we learn how the different parts of the Bible uh, fit together. So studying covenant equips us for reading the Bible. It helps us to know maybe you're doing a Bible in a year um, and you come to different bits of the Bible and you think, how does this fit in? Well, studying the covenants hopefully will give you a framework uh, for understanding how the different bits of the Bible uh, fit together. Also learn, of course, how the different uh, bits of the Bible are, are distinct. In other words, as we look at different sections of the Bible, we get a sense that some of these things that we're reading about are eternal. Let's say we're reading um, the law of Moses, and yet some of these things don't seem to be. Um, So the Israelites were told not to wear mixed fabrics. And the question is, does that apply to my polycotton T-shirt? Does that mean I should throw it out and and buy something else? Um, And it helps us with these kind of questions. How are the different parts of the Bible um, distinct? But most importantly, simply, it gives us the terms of our relationship with God, gives us the terms, um, it gives us the the instructions. Uh, And I kind of just reflected yesterday that we we live in a world um, without instructions a lot of the time. Um, So sellers, uh, as a rule, have realized that we don't like um, the small print uh, when it comes to putting things together. So when you get a flat pack from Ikea, say, it comes with uh, a set of instructions. a set of, well, usually a set, of, rather than instructions, a set of pictures. So I wonder whether you've seen this, this little person. And that was probably you. I, I reckon that at one point in your life, you, you've, you've opened a box of stuff from Ikea and you felt like that. You thought, Ugh. But I reckon, at least if you're a bloke, you've never done this. Okay, you've never actually picked up the phone. Anybody pe- actually e- ever picked up the phone and, um, and, and, and rung Ikea? I think highly, highly unlikely, I reckon. I can't see anybody with their hands up, but you can tell me afterwards if you've ever picked the phone up and rung Ikea for help. Um, but if you've got through your, your um, piece of furniture and you put it together, then you feel like this. Very smug. <clears throat> but also I came across, I came across this um, spoof Ikea instructions. Um, on the internet um, uh, and maybe, but maybe there's more truth in this uh, than we know maybe this has happened in your household you've realised you need somebody else uh, you go and get them for help um, one of you argues with the other <laughs> and you end up Looking, looking at, uh, uh, not talking to each other over over a pile of, of random bits of uh, bits of IKEA shelves. <coughs> I reckon that's probably happened in your household as well. Well, if you buy a laptop, um, you know something really complex, complex piece of equipment. Um, and uh, these days. <coughs> Um, If you want the full instructions, it probably says somewhere, uh, you you get a piece of paper with some pictures on, um, which you're supposed to understand. Uh, If you want more information, um, it says you have to go online, uh, you know, to this website. Um, And that's the point where you realise, well, if I wanted to go online, I would have done, but I can't because my laptop's broken and that's why I'm buying a new one. So we're used to entering into a new relationship with our stuff and quite often having to make it up as we go along. Um, And our relationship with God is not like that. It's too important um, to get wrong. So I think if you're here this morning, you, at some point in the past, you've become a Christian in the sense that you've trusted Christ's death as paying for your sins. You've looked at the cross and you've seen Jesus there and you said, he did that um, for me. You've taken Jesus' sacrifice and you've appropriated it for yourself. And you've trusted then that Jesus' righteous life, everything that he did was right and proper, which he did all the time, um, has been credited to you uh, by God. And you know that you're forgiven. I think if you're here this morning, uh, I trust that's happened to you. And then you kind of know that you should pray, you should read the Bible and you should go to church. But maybe beyond that, you feel like, well, I'm with the IKEA instructions and beyond that, I'm making it up as, as I go along. I don't really know what God has done for me, what God has committed to me. I don't really know what my responsibilities are before the Lord. But if we look at God's covenants, we'll get a much clearer idea. What has God done for you? What has he, beyond the forgiveness that he's achieved, beyond the imputed righteousness that he has given you, what are his resources? What has he promised you? What has he committed to your cause? What then can you ask him for in prayer? And also, on the other hand, um, what does he expect of me? What, what have I, when I became a Christian, what have I committed to him? And as we look at this, don't worry, in a sense, it comes in illustrated form. I think that's one of the reasons there are uh, that the covenant goes through these various stages in the Old Testament, because each of them draws a different picture. Um, so it comes in. Um, illustrated form, as it were. So let's get started. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? A covenant just means a, a pact or a formal agreement or a, or a treaty. So we've signed a, 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 a treaty with, with the rest of Europe. There's a, a Brexit pact, I'm sure, a pact. I'm sure you're really fed up of hearing about it. Um, but what it does is it sets expectations. Uh, on both sides. It sets commitments on on, on two parties. In biblical times, it wouldn't usually be uh, negotiated over six years. More often, it was a a treaty signed between a conquered nation and a conquering nation. There would be somebody who uh, invaded somewhere else, and they'd taken them over. Uh, And there would be an arrangement, there would be a pact, there would be an agreement, Um, there would be uh, a treaty. And God's commitment is always, it, it's different from Brexit in a number of ways. One, it's always a life and death agreement. It's about ultimate realities. There is nothing more important, really, than this covenant that you, that you have with God in life. It, it's a blood pact. It's always signed or sealed um, with blood. Um, blood is involved as we go along, less so in this covenant with creation that we look at this morning. Um, But blood is nearly always involved, and we we need to see why. And God's covenants are always divinely administered. They're always initiated by God. Uh, They are his sovereign arrangements, and as such, um, they are not negotiable. Um, We don't get to um, discuss the terms. We simply get to um, accept them or, or reject them. So God's covenants are always, this is a summary, a bond in blood. Uh, Solemnly administered, that's what one writer says. We're going to look at seven stages of God's covenant over seven weeks. I think seven is, is the number most people go for. Some people can find other uh, minor covenants in the Bible, but I think this is the most commonly agreed structure. We'll look at the covenant uh, with creation. We'll look at God's covenant with Adam. Then we'll look at God's covenant with Noah. Then with Abraham. Then with Moses. Uh, then with David. And then we'll look at the new covenant the covenant that God makes with us um, in Christ. They're all bonds in blood, sovereignly administered. Um, But they're built to a climax, and they're built to one big picture uh, of what you and I have in Christ. And they're always about um, these same three things. They are always about God's people, in God's place, under God's rule living under God's rule. So remember those three things, um, and you won't go far wrong. The covenants are always about God's place, uh, God's people living in God's place and living under God's rule. And, and uh, following God's rule means how to live on, under God's blessing. And so we're starting today with uh, God's covenant with creation. So different uh Peoples and different religions have had different views of how creation happened. Um, according to a Celtic myth, the world was created when one of the gods uh, was sacrificed by his rebellious children, um, and his skull became the sky and his blood became the sea. It's nice, isn't it? Um, in a story told by the Bushongo people um, in Central Africa, a god called Bumba vomited up the sun after feeling a pain in his stomach, um, and the sun then dried up the waters of the earth and the land emerged, and then, because he was still in pain, Bumba vomited up the moon and the stars. OK. Um, and another creation myth, this one, uh, North American people and Indian people, and the god said to the, um, the god of the Assiniboine tribe, um, he sent a muskrat to the bottom of the sea, covering the world, and the drowned body of the muskrat floated back to the surface. Um, but before its, its death, it had gathered soil in its claws, um, and from that soil, um, that the land was made. Really interesting, isn't it, that uh, all people want an account of creation. But doesn't that sound, uh, make uh, the creation account that we read sound um, logical and, and sensible? What those all have, there's an element of chance about them. Whereas in creation, uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God executing a really careful plan those are the things we would we would call myth and a, a myth is a story that people uh, don't really believe is true but it fills a convenient gap and genesis is not like that this is a story uh, we're expected to take at face value i think and in the story that we've read you'll notice that um covenant the word covenant um doesn't actually appear so how can we say that god has made a covenant with creation Well, all the hallmarks um, of a covenant uh, are there. We see God's people, um, Adam and Eve, in God's place, um, Eden, um, under his rule and, and blessing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll look at more of that in a, in a minute. And interestingly, in Jeremiah, um, when the Lord comes to him, he says, if you can break my covenant with the day, my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with my David, my servant, can be broken. So there are kind of hints later on in the Bible that um, this is a, uh, implicit here in the fact that God has created um, is a covenant relationship because it deals with God's people in God's place um, under God's rules. In other words, how to live in his blessing. And in this covenant, there are three general general features which last for all people and all time. And there's one feature specific um, to, to this point in time, specific to kind of Genesis one and two. Um, and so there are three features of this covenant which apply to you and I, and they apply to all people at all time. Uh, and the first of these would um, clearly was work. God created mankind in His own image. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said to them, "Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and and subdue it." Adam and Eve are given a job to do. Um, although the world that God has made is is very good, it still needs subduing. They're told to to multiply, to go out and multiply, in other words, become uh, more and more people and and subdue it. Uh, And one writer says the world is designed to reach its optimum state through the responsible cultivation by humanity. Human beings, the human race, have got a job to do, which is to go out, multiply and, and take hold of creation. And although it starts very good, to make even more of it just an example so psalm 104 um, says that the lord makes grass grow for the cattle plants for people to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth wine that gladdens human hearts oil to make their faces shine and bread that sustains their hearts And and to get those things to get these good things even the food and the oil and the wine mankind need to work they need to work at tasks such as pruning gathering crushing grapes picking pressing um, sowing, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, grinding, uh, uh, and baking. The world is very good, but there is still work uh, for human beings to do. And in the same way, when they were told to build the temple, uh, they required the mining of gold. It would require the quarrying of stones. It would require um, the felling of trees. The world God created was, was very good, but there is, there is work for human beings to do. One writer says that, uh, it's going back to his IKEA illustration, that the world comes flat-packed and God, uh, God commands mankind uh, to assemble it. So work is an essential feature of life. It's there in this covenant relationship um, that God wanted to have uh, with all of humankind. And it was intended as a blessing, and we'll see next week um, that it became, uh, became hard. And even if we go into the New Testament, um, work is still regarded positively. Um, so Paul says to the Thessalonians that we command you, brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who's idle and disruptive and doesn't live according to the teaching you received from us. Um, and he says, when we were with you, we worked night and day. And he said, we offered ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who's unwilling to work shall not eat. So work is intended to be a good thing. At the very least, work provides for you and your family so that you're not a burden on others. And so that you have money and resources to, to share and to give with others. And at and best, um, work contributes to human well-being. That's what it's designed to do. So that's one of the features that's there for all time, um, for all people in all places. <clears throat> the second one is marriage. We read that little account of the Lord said, it's it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So Adam and Eve, excuse me, (coughs) given a family structure to follow. Keith has spoken on marriage um, for Ephesians 5, so I don't want to go into detail or spend long. But just to note for the moment that that God says it's not good for the man to be alone. (coughs) Now, it's usually taken to mean, that it was, he, he was going to be lonely. If he was on his own, he'd be lonely. But think about it. He has, he has fellowship with God. He had the opportunity of walking and talking with God in, in the garden. So maybe man needs a helper because without a wife, he can't do this job. He can't do this work, which is filling the earth um, and subduing it. He can't fill the earth as a single man. He can't, um, he can't subdue the earth as a single man. He needs his wife to help him, and he needs his wife so they can procreate. And I know that we find helper to be an almost uh, derogatory term, um, but it's used of the Lord in the Bible. Psalm 118, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. Um, it, it's the same word. But this arrangement in, um, in Genesis 2, it does imply um, that the role of, of leading the family is, is given to the man, particularly because he's held responsible when everything goes wrong. More of that in next week. <laughs> and the Lord institutes marriage in a really unusual way. He takes this rib um, out, of, uh, out of Adam's side and, and makes Eve with it. And we're told for this reason, because for this reason, because this is how God created, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, uh, and they shall become uh, one flesh. And so a man is like a rib cage, missing a rib. He feels incomplete um, without, a, without a woman by his side. He has a strong desire for the female body and a woman is like a, a rib looking for a ribcage, looking for a man uh, to hold her and be with her. And so one writer suggests that marriage is this place where because men and women have been created as a rib without a ribcage, uh, and a ribcage without a rib, um, men and women are wanting to come together uh, and form a union. And when they do come together, they form one flesh, they, they form one whole body again. And that's why I think that desire uh, for, for intimacy between a man and a woman, sexual intimacy is such a powerful thing. Uh, it's a desire to be a whole body again. And that's why marriage can only be between two people of a different sex. It's the rib and the ribcage um, reuniting. That's why it can only be between um, two people uh, and not more. And that's why uh, divorce shouldn't happen, if at all possible. Jesus said at the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, while God has joined together, let no one separate. So there is in marriage this sense that the rib and the ribcage have come back together, uh, are formed one whole body, um, and you tear them apart, and disastrously painful things happen. And, and in the Old Testament, uh, remaining single, one writer says, was effectively a, a rejection of God's creational command. But in the New Testament, marriage uh, is seen as being better than being sinfully single, but if you can be single and godly, which is a gift not many people have, then Paul would say, that's a great blessing and that's a great place to be. I think the hardest part is taken by those who are single, not out of choice, and don't feel gifted in singleness and yet are single by force of circumstance. And a great deal of, of, of trust um, in the Lord uh, is needed for by those people. It's a difficult place to be. We recognise that. So third thing... Uh, that's there uh, for all creation, for all time, um, is, is the Sabbath. God's already blessed Adam and Eve um, when he gave them that command. But now he has a, a blessing, a particular blessing on, on a blessed day, and he calls it um, the Sabbath um, at the end of the week. And again, it's not called that here. You don't read the word Sabbath in, in the Genesis command. Uh, but in Exodus 20, it's clear that... Uh, the Sabbath refers back to this seventh day that God's created. And because God rested, he he's set them this, this task. Even, even though work is at this point is, shouldn't be for them onerous, um, there is a day a week uh, to rest and reflect and, and stop working. So those are three aspects of this creation God has made. Um, Sorry, this covenant God has made with creation, and those aspects uh, are, are still are still in force for all people for all time. So, uh, when people break these things, then life life goes wrong. But there's one feature particular to the um, just one command. Uh, one command in this whole covenant they've put in this garden uh, and it's an amazing place and um, it's full of trees with different things it's beautiful Um, it's productive Uh, all kinds of different things for them to eat there's just one command Um, and that is don't eat from the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil it's the only restriction Why is that there? Why did God do that? Well, what it does is it gives Adam and Eve a choice. This covenant is not forced upon them. It's not forced upon them. They can choose to say, I don't like this covenant. Um, I'll reject this covenant. I'll, I'll exit it. And all they have to do is go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eat. And they can reject God's covenant what it does this one command is it dignifies their relationship with the Lord what it does is it it gives Adam and Eve this opportunity to come to this covenant relationship as choosing uh, responsible individuals and it allows them to say I choose this covenant and I confirm my choice to it by not eating from the tree that God said I shouldn't So some things I want to learn. <clears throat> and the first is simply this. God has given us the exciting challenge of taming and not trashing um, the world that he's given us. There, there are raw materials uh, throughout the creation. They're ready to be to, uh, put to good use. Uh, and as we use them, as we use them for human well-being, we're, we're fulfilling the creator's purposes for his world. There is dignity in work. There should be dignity in work. Um, one writer says God wants meals to be well cooked, classes well taught, um, children well looked after, websites well designed, roads well maintained, babies well nurtured, covenant, countries well governed. In short, every task that contributes to the positive development of creation matters to him. So God's covenant about work, God's creational mandate to subdue the earth. Um, has not yet been revoked it's never been revoked it's still uh, it's still in action so that's the first lesson is, is that work is still um, is still out there um, for us to do uh, so when you work even if it's kind of like you know you think of the guy comes down and empties your bin god wants rubbish to be taken away and dealt with in, in a sensible kind of way and the new covenant doesn't excuse us from work It doesn't remove it from us. It just gives you a fresh motivation. Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working from the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Learn to look on work as a thing you do out of service um, to Jesus, out of glory to Jesus. Because it is part of God's covenant that the world is subdued and the work is well done. What are you doing with the, with the flat pack? What are you doing in your part of the world this year that's encouraging uh, human being? And one of the questions, one of the big questions you can ask but well, we just mentioned in passing is how can you be greener this year? In sabbatical, I read a book called There Is No Planet B by Mike Berners-Lee. I really um, commend that to you. Um, just to understand a, a lot of it is very simple questions and answers, and it gives lots of the facts about climate change. How can you be greener this year? So That's the first thing. Work with all your heart, ask with the Lord. Second one is trust God's one rest day in, in seven pattern. You must, a, a, a in you must take a day in the week to detach from work. Must take a day in the week to detach from work. It is not good for you. It is not good for you mentally, physically or spiritually um, to work seven days a week. And if you can't detach from it, then you are starting to make a God out of it. And you are saying to God that he's somehow second. And you're saying, I don't trust this promise that you've made And you remember when the Israelites gathered manna and they gathered enough on the sixth day that will last them on the seventh day. You're saying, I don't trust you that I can lay this down for a day. You must spend a day of the week detaching from work. It gives you time to uh, spend with the Lord. And we're very fortunate people because most of us have two days off a week. So we've got a a Saturday and we can do, uh, most of us, I know that work encroaches uh, on so many people's lives but you've got time to to give to refreshment to hobbies to family and still have time um, to to give a day holy to the lord to spend more time with him on a sunday than you would in other days of the world stick with god's countercultural plan for marriage this is something we're going to do we're going to do as a church um we don't apologize about it it's very difficult to do in this day and age. Um, it's become an offensive thing to the culture around us, and we recognise that. But we're going to stick uh, with, with this message because this is God's plan. This is God's covenant with creation. Uh, and to break it is to, um, is to invite disorder, is to, in, to dishonour him and to invite his displeasure. God's plan for marriage is one man, and one woman for life. A marriage is the context for sex. A marriage should be ideally with a Christian partner, sticking with God's counter-cultural plan for marriage. Understand that when these three basics, no one is outside the covenant. This earth is not a kind of neutral place, and whereas as if we could say Christianity is a thing that we kind of opt into um, because uh, because we liked it it was our choice and everybody else is on neutral ground no everybody else is still in the creation that god created there are still people who are rejecting god's covenant and i think this is the background to the gospel i think so often when we're talking about sin particularly with children uh we, we talk about some kind of standard of goodness and badness where well, you can't redact that you can't uh, you can't separate that from one's relationship to God. The essence of sin is, is self-rule rather than than God-rule. So we struggle sometimes, I think, to say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, because we look at vaccine producers and think they're doing a fantastic thing, which is encouraging um, human well-being. But the question is whether they're living their lives. Whether uh, the, the question is not whether they've done great scientific work, which is a great benefit, and we would say that is good in all kinds of ways, but the question is, are they living their lives uh, where that goodness is, uh, where they're offering God the honor of all the things that they do? Are they under self-rule, or are they under God's rule? That's the essence of, of sin, that is the background of the gospel. And nobody escapes that, there is no neutral ground. Hope for the new Eden. I, I, Really important. We talked about hope, didn't we, back in Ephesians 1. Um, and actually that was one of the moments, I think, where I knew I needed a sabbatical because I recognised that hope wasn't functioning particularly actively in my life. And quite, a bit, quite, quite often my heart was, would move in little despairing ways. I think, oh no, this is never going to work, kind of ways. And our hearts should ache for the future, but also have this hope the same way we said back then, that you, you look forward to your summer holiday. And we're looking forward now, aren't we, to a time when we can you know, meet with family and friends again, where, where we can go places uh, where the sun will shine, or we look for that time off work. Well, the new creation that God is going to create, the new Eden, should pull on our hearts in that same way. Uh, there is hope for a, a rest um, in God's new world. Uh, a time away from work a time with friends time with family i think importantly right from the start we notice then out of this covenant with creation um, that god's word is always the key to god's blessing god's word is always the key to god's blessing if adam and eve Obey this one word, don't even eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All God's blessings are free for them to take for as long as they like. And I think the implication of the tree of life being there is that they live, they will live forever um, under God's blessing. And it's God's word. All they need to do is listen and obey God's word. I want you to find out for yourself, if you haven't already, that God's word is always key to God's blessing. Reading the Bible is, is, is so fundamental to us. And I know we come back to it and we make it sound like a chore. I don't know how to make it not sound like a chore, but but it isn't a chore. It's the key to God's blessings, the key to living under um, his blessing. Um, It's the key to knowing him. It's the key to being strengthened uh, against sin. God's word is a living and active thing. Um, It is key to living under God's blessing. So we've started this kind of picture. So put some principles in place about God's covenant. God's covenant um, is is always... uh, uh, sovereignly a bond sovereignly administered in blood well the the blood hasn't appeared yet but it will um but it's a bond made between uh, humans and god sovereignly administered life and death um, sealed in in blood and it's always about being god's people in god's place under his blessing so god today the lord himself is is inviting you if you haven't realized it, if you haven't entered it already, he's inviting you into a covenant relationship. Where he says, I will be your God. I will be your God. Whoever you are this morning, I can see all your names out there. I will be your God. I wouldn't embarrass you by reading them out. I will be your God. What an amazing thing that the creator of, of, of the very earth on which we stand. Uh, should stand here this morning uh, before you and say, I will be your God. I will commit my resources um, to you. Are you ready for that this year? Are you ready to say God is my God? Are you ready to ask him for more? Are you ready to rely on him more? Are you asking him to be the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you'll know him more, so you'll know this power that is more, uh, that power? That I will be your God, he says to you today. And he says, you will be my people. And yes, you out there, all in your little box at the top of my screen individually, um, but also you, Stains Kong, you will be my people. I will call you by my name. I want you to be like me. Obviously that comes into you will be my people. So are you ready this year for a journey into God that we've never known before? Maybe a bit of a kick up the pants. Maybe growth where it has stalled. Well then keep listening, start by praying And today reflect upon these words that God says to you, I will be your God and you will be my people. Let me pray and I'll hand back to Bill. Lord, how amazing that you would say to us this morning, I will be your God. And it comes by grace, as your covenants always do, it comes by your initiative. It comes by your arranging of arranging that riches that's fulfilled at the cross, and then the resurrection and the sending of the Spirit. And you say this morning, "I will be your God. And you can, you will be my people. Lord, we pray these words will echo around our, our heads, our minds, all week. And we'll rejoice in them. Reflect on them. And you'll lift our spirits through them. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bill, we'll my you.